another episode of the Dunkin' with Dom podcast. Fernero, it's good to have you back for some NFL pod. It's good to be here again, man. Alrighty, for now, we'll get right into this because we have not had an NFL episode on the pod basically since the start of the postseason for the NFL. We're already kind of like almost two weeks distance ourselves from the Super Bowl. I remember when I started the pod, uh, you know, almost a year ago today, we kind of did the same thing uh, with another guest of waiting till a couple weeks out to then talk about the Super Bowl plus the postseason, what we're going to see with the draft free agency. And then, of course, looking ahead to this next season, we'll start with the Super Bowl. Biggest takeaway from the Super Bowl that you saw this year? Oh my goodness, Cooper Cup. Like, I was rooting for this man since the beginning of the season. And, like, <laughs> I was rooting for this man ever since, like, week 10, when he was just, like, constantly getting a bunch of receptions, a bunch of touchdowns, a bunch of yardage. I was like, this man could really go all the way. He nearly broke all receiving records. He was number two for most receptions in a single season, number two for most receiving yards in a single season, and he came out with, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, 17 receiving touchdowns this single season. And in the postseason, topped it all off with two touchdowns in the Super Bowl and a Super Bowl MVP, well-deserved, God bless the man. But the most important thing that you could take away from this, Matthew Stafford finally got a ring. They finally did it. The Rams went all in with their draft picks, and their investment was worthwhile. They finally got their Super Bowl. Sean McVay is finally a Super Bowl champion. You got Aaron Donald, Eric Weddle, Jalen Ramsey, Andrew Whitworth, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, Matthew Stafford, all getting rings, all very deserving. The one thing going in that everyone saw coming was the Bengals' offensive line. Could they hold the defensive line of the Rams? They clearly could not. They allowed, I believe, seven sacks in the Super Bowl. And Joe Burrow came away with an MCL sprain. Uh, best wishes for his recovery. And, you know, from what I could take away, the Rams could repeat. I'm not saying it's a for sure repeat, but for the most likely reason, they have a team that could make it back next year. For the Bengals, they still have a bit to work with. Their offense is clearly stacked. They're one of the better offenses in the league. Joe Burrow is going to be a, a QB to, to watch for years to come. This Bengals defense is incredible. And for the most part, the only thing they need to fix is the Bengals offensive line. So it's, it's, that's the only concern coming into this offseason that they really need to go all in for. Yeah, there's a couple things that stood out that I'm glad you mentioned. The first of which is like Cooper Cup, I think, by far and away deserving of the, of the uh, Super Bowl MVP was a one-man offense kind of with the Rams. Like, it kind of reminded me of, like, Allen Iverson with those, like, early Sixers teams where, you know, I don't know, like, it's kind of like if you don't have Robert or uh, Cooper Cup in the game, your offense slows down. And if you recall with the Rams, they were kind of lacking offensive weapons because they lose Robert Woods to start the year. Odell Beckham goes out middle of the game. Higby, their tight end, is kind of on and off, and he's really not playing all that much. And other than uh, Cooper Cup, there kind of are no other receivers or any theory of an offense with this Rams team. Yeah. I mean, once I saw Odell go down, I knew it was going to be a tough uh, game for Stafford because that was his second offensive option. And the investment for the Rams to get Odell was so amazing. I mean, the fact that they got him in the middle of the season was amazing. He proved everyone wrong. He proved the Cleveland Browns wrong, and he went to the Super Bowl, got a ring. But going down in the middle of the game, I think, proved people, the doubters, the haters of Stafford, that he can win with just one good receiver. That's it. Like, 
He only needed Cooper Cup for the most part to win the game, and the defense held its own against uh, the Bengals' offense. Which, by the way, I'm going to say this out outright: those seven points that T. Higgins got should not have counted. <laughs> yeah, the part, they got it. You know what? I'll give it to them. They got away with the call, and so did the Rams. I'll give them that. The game was outstanding. It was so awesome to watch from both off from both teams' aspects. This was way better than last year's Super Bowl, and I, I felt like I was torn between both teams to win the Super Bowl, but both deserved it. And I felt like the Rams had that edge to win it, and you know Stafford winning a ring. I think that's one of the bigger storylines for from this postseason. Yeah, staying with the Rams here, a couple things with this team that stood out. Number one is that I feel like a lot of people this season, especially kind of on the national media front are underrating Cooper Cup's performance because they're like, oh, there was the extra NFL regular season game. Of course, he's going to have an extra game to break all these records and have a chance to kind of gain more stats. But you saw it with that postseason, this postseason, but particularly that Super Bowl where if he's not in the game, remember, the run game is absolutely abominable. I think every fan screamed at the TV when K-Makers, Daryl Henderson, or Sony Mitchell got the ball and ran it for a yard and a half every possession or lost yards. And the Stafford thing is really huge because we remember that they trade all these assets and Jared Goff to get Stafford to say, we're going all in, QB's our biggest link. You look at this team, it's a bunch of veterans. They get Odell in the middle of the season, which was a big signing, just a deep threat so that they can play around with Cup and some of their other guys in the backfield. And... They were going all in this year, and I think people don't give enough credit that Stafford was huge for this Rams team, number one. And number two, now the question is, like, Stafford has, like, a decent Hall of Fame case, not to be all, like, in the present. But, I mean, guys like Eli Manning and some of those guys might make the Hall of Fame. And I think Stafford's had a better statistical career in this postseason. He won a ring with the team that's expected to at least make the Super Bowl, if not the conference championship. He proved everyone wrong. It was a great year for the Rams and a great year for Stafford. Yeah, I mean, you brought up an interesting point there, and you brought up a quarterback that we could probably relate Stafford to uh, in a little bit of, actually, most of the sense. Um, Both Stafford and Eli Manning threw the most interceptions in their regular seasons, respectively, that they won a Super Bowl in. So Eli Manning threw 20 interceptions in the season that he won the Super Bowl against the Patriots, one of two, surprisingly. Yeah, right. Um, (laughs) (laughs) and Stafford threw 17 interceptions this season, which was the most this season, 17 or 19? I think it was 19. Um, And he won the Super Bowl. Um, Could you say he's a Hall of Famer? Maybe. Because for the most part, I'd say Eli Manning's more deserving due to the fact that he won two Super Bowls and he was on a team also that he was, you know, that wasn't that good. Well, and might I add, both against the Patriots, too. It's like two tough Super Bowls, yeah. Also, you know, preventing another perfect season in the NFL. You know, go Dolphins, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right. But um, Stafford, he has a little bit more to prove that he's Hall of Fame worthy. I will say he's getting there. He's very close, I would say. So another question for you I had, because I was going back and forth on this when the game was winding down, which, by the way, big picture take for the Super Bowl, the second half took like two hours. Like after the Stafford interception, before that, the – no pass interference touchdown the Bengals got. Everything else after that legit felt like forever. It was like we were stuck in time there. The big takeaway for me with this game was the Super Bowl MVP uh, for the game. How much weight do you put for Aaron Donald? Because stats-wise, of course, not that good. He only puts up, I think it was like three 
total hits and not even a sack is technically that last one was an incomplete whatever but yet Aaron Donald when he's getting double team and triple team you would argue is the most valuable player what is there a case for Donald here just because he's like the heart and soul of the team he kind of kept that defense afloat even though things looked bad or is do you think Cup should have won it I think Cup should have won it. And the, the reason why is um, most people go for stats more than anything. I think game impact has a little bit to do with it. But for the most part, if you see what happened during that last drive, going down to the thick of it, the, because Stafford lost Odell Beckham. He only had Van Jefferson and Cooper Cup on his offense. The run game wasn't going, and their tight ends limited. Stafford had to get a touchdown. He had to get a touchdown that last drive. And the fact that it lasted so long and the fact that most of his throws were to Cooper Cup, it makes a case for Cooper Cup to be MVP of that game because of the fact of the situation that they were in. And I I agree with you, that second half was very, very long, but it was so beautiful how it went down. I mean, Cooper Cup proved that he is one of the best receivers in the league. I won't say the best because people will be like, oh, Devontae Adams and oh, Debo Samuel and oh, like... He's one of the best. Well, Top three. How, how about Amari Cooper? Got to get some Cowboys fans in here, right? Oh, hell no. <laughs> Listen, Cowboys fans, I'm sorry. Amari Cooper, hell no. I'm sorry. So, I, I agree with you for the record. I think Cup should have won the award. Because if you recall, there's the game with the Buccaneers earlier in the postseason where everyone's like, oh, the Rams almost blew the game. You know, they had a couple dumb turnovers. Who was it but Stafford throwing this, like, 70-yard bomb to cup to get them in the field goal range to win the game against a, a Bucks team that had high expectations. Like cup was definitely, I'd say probably the most valuable Rams player. I, I you, it's a, it's close again. Donald's very good. Stafford, the QB. I mean, just alone, the fact they went from Goff to Stafford automatically was an upgrade. And now in the postseason was even better. The, the other question I have, cause this kind of ties into our second part of the, the pod is you have these two teams make the postseason. You have uh, the Super Bowl. You have the Bengals that surprised everybody. Nobody thought they would be even remotely close to this. In fact, a lot of preseason odds had them not even making the playoffs. And here they are in a Super Bowl. This Rams team was always kind of sneakily overrated, then underrated, and then they were kind of forgotten about. And now they're here. Which team do you think doesn't make it back to the Super Bowl? Because there's cases for both sides. If you're the Bengals side is like you're young. But you have a lot of holes to fill, number one. And number two, the AFC is way more competitive than the NFC. But if you're the Rams, half your team is up there in age. You have a lot of questions with these veterans like Donald and some of their offensive line. Even Stafford's going to be, like, what, 34? Like, there's a lot of questions on both sides of the aisle here. What do you think about that? I think there's a case for both teams to miss out, really. I mean, in reality, most of the times, the team who had made the Super Bowl prior doesn't make it back. I mean, there was only a couple instances where we had the Patriots, obviously. Uh, the Seahawks was a surprising one back in 2013-2014. Um, for the most part, not a lot of teams make it back. I would say the Bengals probably have a better shot. Just hear me out. The Rams have a lot of star power, yes. Their salary cap is horrible, and they don't have any assets in the draft to help them out to get any instant impact players. So they're going to lose Andrew Whitworth. They already lost Eric Weddle. That was obvious. They're bringing back Aaron Donald. They're hopefully bringing back Vaughn Miller. They're hopefully bringing back Odell Beckham. Their team 
on paper looks good to repeat. But the Bengals have a way better situation where they have enough in salary cap, they have enough in draft capital to make an impact, to change their team, and to get back into the Super Bowl stronger than ever. I feel like if they sign Teron Armstead or Trent Brown, those are huge impact players that could help their offensive line and help them go back to the Super Bowl, possibly. I think it's a, a huge possibility given they have to go through the Chiefs, the Bills, obviously, but their team was very underrated, and they they have the swagger, they have the confidence to be like, we deserve this. We belong there in the conversation with the Chiefs and the Bills. So, Well, you make an excellent point with the whole trying to get back to the – the title because the famous saying and, and and not just the NBA but a lot of sports leagues the easiest thing to do is to win a title the hardest thing to do is to repeat because you bring it up it's the team guys are going to want pay raises because they were big in a postseason or regular season you bring up the Aaron Donald thing a very big comparison to like NBA guys where I always have to compare things to the NBA where you have this aging superstar he's been in the league for a decade and he's good, but at some point he's going to fall off a cliff, and he's not coming back unless you give him the max max in terms of a, a contract. So do you want to tie in all your your cap space to a guy who's already going to be on the decline? Because at most, the Aaron Donald we saw now, in a best-case scenario, is going to be the Aaron Donald we see next season, which is very, very good, 97% of what we want. But it's going to start declining very, very fast. They have a lot of veterans that, again, they're going to have to like fill in those holes with God knows who. And repeating is hard because the NFC, I know it's not like the most competitive conference. Again, the AFC is probably way stronger, but it's still hard to repeat in football. And again, minus these dynasties like the Patriots and the the surprising Seahawks recently, there hasn't been many instances of this. Yeah, I mean, given the situation in L.A., I feel like um, Aaron Donald wouldn't mind taking a pay cut to help the team out. And I I wouldn't think that Stafford is opposed to that either it just comes down to the whole team being like okay what can we do to figure out our salary cap situation and to bring these guys back because we know we can win it we know we won a super bowl can we bring it back can we do we have that confidence to bring it all back again they're gonna have players retiring their team is getting up there in age like you said obviously and um i feel like you know what i feel like aaron donald is going to be one of the best defensive linemen for the next two years Maybe he'll hit the down, uh, decline then because, I mean, I've been trying to see it ever since. He's 31 years old right now. He's definitely going to be one of the best defensive linemen in the game for a couple of years at least, in my eyes. Um, I could definitely see this Rams team still being formidable for the next two years, but after that, I don't see them trying to hit the playoffs again. Well, and I think there's two things you brought up that are important. Number one, I'm going to introduce this real quick, but – I think the purpose of the Stafford trade earlier uh, to start this year, the purpose was to go all in. It was like we need to capitalize on all these guys in their prime or at the end of their prime now before they get up there in age. And number two, back to the Aaron Donald piece, in in in, in like a bunch of sports, usually like the, the decline begins like in the mid-30s, I'd say. But in football, it's much earlier because it's just way more taxing despite there being less games. By the time you even hit like 29 or 30, you're already going to be declining minus like if you're a good QB like a Tom Brady or an Aaron Rodgers or some of those guys. So that's just an important uh, bit of business there. Is there any other Super Bowl takeaways you want to mention on the pod or are you ready to move on? Um, Super Bowl takeaways... Not really. I think we can move on, yeah. So there's a couple off-season narratives and postseason narratives I want to get into. We'll start with the postseason. 
big takeaways I saw from this postseason that I think are really, really important. Number one, luck of the Bengals. The the road to their postseason and to their success this year banks on this sneaky Raiders win, which they kind of like didn't play all that well, and they still won the game. The Raiders had a horrible game and were almost stole it away from them. That uh, crazy Titans game where they face this one seed false Titans team that really has half their guys injured. Tannehill has a horrible game, and they get by that, and they still barely win that game. Takes a kick, a game winning field goal to, in uh, to win that game. And then this Chiefs game where they're down, I think 21-6 was the score at one point, and the Chiefs are about to score with six seconds left before halftime, and they don't do it. They, they botch that play. And then ever since that play, Bengals cruise. They win in overtime in the end. And then they face, I mean, there is a world where they could have won this game because this Rams team probably wasn't even the best team in the NFC. You can argue there were some other guys out there. Bengals run was very, very easy relative to a lot of the people or a lot of the teams that they had to uh, compete with. Oh, man. Oh, boy. Um, I would say yes. I thought for the most part during the Bengals run, there were a lot of instances where their opponents could have shut them out easily. Like the Raiders game, I was like, man, I really want to see both these teams make it, but I think the Raiders are going to win it. And then they surprised me in the end by stopping Derek Carr on fourth down. Then comes the Titans game, and I'm like, man, I want both teams to make it. I want the Titans to win. And the Bengals surprised me again with Evan McPherson, just cold-blooded killer, hits the field goal to win it. And then the Chiefs game, I'm like, okay, finally the Bengals have to lose here, right? Like the Chiefs are too good. They win in overtime. 24 to 21. Patrick Mahomes could have made a better throw in overtime. That was completely his decision making that ruined the game for the Chiefs, in my opinion. Because that one play changed the entire aspect of what that Super Bowl was going to look like. I thought it would have been Chiefs versus Rams, which was entirely likely. But until that play with Patrick Mahomes throwing a bomb to Tyreek Hill in double coverage just gets intercepted. I mean, it's, it was just an errant throw. And the Bengals capitalized, they win in overtime, field goal. And I wouldn't say the Bengals road was an easy one. It was definitely difficult, but they really shut up everyone in the league thinking that they would never make it, and they made it. What are your thoughts on the Chiefs, by the way? Because, of course, I think a lot of teams, a lot of people thought they would make it back to the Super Bowl. They didn't. There's a couple theories that I think are out there and a couple uh, assertions we can make. But in your eyes, what's the diagnosis for that game? Because the Bengals game makes no sense. You're up that much at halftime. You're easily the better team. It's Patrick Mahomes, you know, a very, very great quarterback. What happened? Man, that's, that's a difficult one. I think they got a little too comfortable. I think that happens with a lot of teams when they're too confident in their team and their ability and their talents. Um, for the most part, from what I understand, they did not have Tyron Matthew that game because they lost him to the Bills game, which was an outstanding playoff game. I think everyone should go rewatch it because, holy crap, that was an amazing last two minutes of NFL football. Um, the Chiefs game against the Bengals, yeah, they got too too comfortable with the lead that they had, and they could have easily shut out the Bengals for the most part, but they didn't. And Joe Burrow was able to capitalize. I think you should be putting a lot more um, a lot more credit to Bengals offense and how Joe Burrow handled that, because in all honesty, if it were Jimmy Garoppolo or per se maybe even Aaron Rodgers, could they have come back in that game? 
Yeah, I'm trying to think. I don't know. Like, because here's my takeaway. From what I've read out there and just, like, heard, the theory out there is that Mahomes may have been injured. Like, there's a theory that he may have gotten, like, a concussion or something. It just doesn't make sense that this team has all the momentum in the game. They're cruising through the postseason, blitzing everybody in their path, and then it just stops like out of nowhere. It's not even like, oh, like, they sucked for two drives, three drives. It was the entire half, and then it took the last possession to get it into overtime to even have another chance. So the, the other thing, too, I have with this kind of part of it is that part, I think the Chiefs being there so many times probably got to them, too. That's another theory because, what, they make five – or is it four straight AFC – title games and two Super Bowls. Yeah. So that's a lot of miles on these guys too. You have to keep that in mind. Yeah. I mean, I haven't heard any of the theories as of late to what uh, happened during the half of that game. Um, from what I understand, it was just, they got outplayed from what I saw. I mean, from just what I heard for the most part, I wasn't able to watch that full game. I was able to watch that first half when they got clobbered, and I was like, oh, this is going to be an easy game for the Chiefs. But then it just turned around all of a sudden, and I saw the OT, and just they crumbled. They didn't have... The Bengals' money line won on this one. <laughs> yeah. It's just, I mean, what more can you say about the Chiefs? They have all they need in the world. They don't really need a rebuild. They have everything that they need in key places. So it's like... They're a full, complete team to win every single game and hit the Super Bowl three years, four years in a row. They are going to cement themselves as a dynasty, and they're going to become the New England Patriots for sure, I feel like. And I called that after they won the Super Bowl 54 in Miami. And so far, they've been proving me right here and there. But after this loss, I don't know. I think the Bengals and the Bills are formidable teams for years to come to be able to beat them in the playoffs. Uh, let me think. Yeah, I guess a good way to transition with this would be, were these the two best teams in the Super Bowl, the Bengals and the Rams? Because who did you have to kind of start the year and then start the postseason in terms of winning? Because for me, I was a big Packers guy. They clearly flamed out horribly to the Niners. And then I had the Chiefs, and they clearly flamed out against the Bengals. What were your two kind of consensus teams going for the Super Bowl? At the beginning of the season, honestly, man, I did not have any. I really was like, this is up in the air for me. The Buccaneers definitely could make it back, and the Chiefs definitely could make it back, but I'm not holding that. I thought for sure when the Rams made that trade for Stafford that they may have had a shot. Coming into the playoffs, my mindset was Rams versus, I believe, I want to say Chiefs, maybe even Titans. Um, and it got close to that. Um, I was a little bit scared against the, the Rams versus Bucks game. I remember rooting for the Rams that entire game. And uh, it very much looked uh, Atlanta Falcons-esque um, <laughs> heading up into that fourth quarter. And the the one thing that I saw out of that game that made me think the Rams are going to win the Super Bowl was just that last last drive by the Rams. Stafford made two incredible throws, both to Cooper Cup, won that game with a field goal. And that freaking I, – I loved watching the end of that because he looked exactly how he looked on the Lions against the Cowboys winning that game. <laughs> just like – 13 seconds left, he just rushes his whole team, like, clock, clock! It's just like, it was almost, like, picture perfect. <laughs> and I just, that made me think for a full, like, two weeks heading into the Super Bowl, the Rams are going to win it. I don't care if the Bengals have that swagger, that confidence. I know for sure after that game, I have the utmost confidence in the Rams to win it. Uh, what was your favorite postseason game from this, uh, from this past playoff? Because I'd say the Bills-Chiefs game, 
probably was our like Super Bowl without the name Super Bowl, just in terms of you got the Bills kind of history with that whole situation. You got the Chiefs trying to vie for another trip to the Super Bowl and to the title game. You have Mahomes versus Allen. Uh, you know, the battle of kind of the Giants and the AFC, especially two teams that were inconsistent all year, caught fire toward the end. Was that the best game for you? Yeah. I mean, I would say that game and the Super Bowl are, like, very neck and neck for, like, the best game out of this postseason. I feel like a lot of people should have enjoyed the Super Bowl. It was a very awesome Super Bowl to watch. Very explosive offensively. Very great defensively. I think, honestly, that Super Bowl was the best for me. Um... I will say that divisional round game was uh, it, it stole a lot of people's hearts in the in the favorite postseason game aspect. I felt like yeah, both teams played their heart outs. Uh, we all wished that the OT rules could have been different for both teams to have a chance to win it. But you know what? The Chiefs came out on top and they won that game, forty-two to thirty-six. I mean, they, I, like I said, the last two minutes of that fourth quarter are probably the the best offensive football you could ever see in your entire life, in my opinion. Defensively, don't watch it. Don't at all. Because you're going to cringe so badly. But, man, that game was incredible to watch, yeah. So let's, let's kind of tie this up and go kind of more forward-looking toward some big-picture stuff. The NFL is some of the big storylines there as well as the offseason. A couple more takeaways that I noticed. I think the big thing from this year has been the Week 17. The adding an actual – or pardon me, I guess Week 18 technically, but adding a 17th game to the regular season. So – Odd number of records for everybody, an extra game on the docket for everyone. What was your kind of big takeaway from that? Because I remember at the beginning, way when this rule was introduced ages ago, I was kind of on the fence about it because I'm like, great, there's an extra regular season game. But on the other hand, you know, probably the likelihood of injuries and the likelihood of, you know, wear and tear and the likelihood of just different things being absolutely crazy and altering compared to last season and the year before that. There were going to be some different changes. What uh, any pros or cons of the week seventeen after a year of it? I think you've mentioned a lot of the, the the pros and cons there. I mean, the cons mainly the injury aspect. I feel like if you were to add another weekend, it would kind of add on to the wear and tear of the normal regular season for a lot of players. Um, however, in that aspect, adding another week could also help teams in the in the long run. When they go when they're going into the playoffs, they lost a player during the middle of the season, and they can get him back hopefully before a Super Bowl run. So it's like Derek Henry cough cough. <laughs> yeah, for real. Cam Akers as well. Don't forget that. Yep. Um, it's it's interesting. I liked Week 18, and for the first ever Week 18, it was probably the most anxious, most awesome week of football I've ever witnessed in my entire life. Like, the Raiders-Chargers game is probably up there with the game of the year next to the Bills versus Chiefs. It was outstanding. I think for me as a fan, it's great to have another week of football in. For players, probably not so much, but you never know. They get another paycheck, they get more incentives. Maybe they have another shot at hitting the playoffs as a seventh seed, so you don't know. There's a lot of pros and cons that go around, but I think for the NFL aspect, getting more money out of it, and for the players' aspect, getting more money out of it, there's a lot more pros to the and to the cons. So, I mean, injuries obviously are going to happen. They're, at this point, somewhat random. You know, you can't control it. So it's like, might as well just add an extra week just to, like, get a little revenue in and be like, you know what? Screw it. You know? And it helps. Well, I'm glad. That was, the, that was the point I wanted you to bring up for sure. It was that... I think with this extra week, we're going to see more of those win-in-your-in type scenarios because 
if you're going to play an extra week, the, the bottom line is I think it'll gravitate more toward teams with closer records than farther apart records. Like I don't think there'll be a scenario where a team goes 16-1 and uh, one in a regular season just because it's so grueling. Like I don't think, unless you have a super-duper team, that's going to happen. And the league, by the way, is, I think, very much more talented than it was 10 years ago, I'd say. So you combine that. And that Chargers-Raiders game, it's it's already kind of for being forgotten about. Just like, wow, we had a game where this team, like this Chargers team was could have made the case for it to be like one of the better teams in the postseason. And it doesn't even make the postseason because of this epic game at the end of the year on Sunday night at 8.30 on primetime. Tons of people watching it. Goes to overtime. It's everything we wanted as a fan. Mm-hmm. Like... Honestly, I probably watched the highlights of that game way too many times. It was, <laughs> I mean, just watching the Chargers. I mean, a lot of people were kind of pissed uh, from the Chargers fan base, uh, and a lot of people that I knew were rooting for the Chargers because they looked like an outright Super Bowl contender at the beginning of the year, and they just fumbled so hard during the end. And to my knowledge, the Raiders would have tied against the Chargers to help them in. But that timeout during the end of that OT game, during the overtime period, they rethought everything. Derek Carr was like, nah, screw it. We're going for the field goal. I don't care about this team anymore. Like, that game for me was, as a fan, was perfect to end off the season, week 18. Um, the Chargers definitely would have made some noise in the in the postseason. Going up against the Chiefs a second time and possibly winning in the wild card weekend, we never know. That probably would have sh- like changed the whole aspect of the playoffs for us. But I like the playoffs that we got. Given maybe two games, if you take two games out, the playoffs were super close, super competitive, and super fun to watch. I, I enjoyed every second of it. Another big storyline that I think took headlines by storm, and we did an emergency pot on this with uh, Chris. You, you probably saw that in the notifications, was – the Brian Flores thing, you know, we're both from Florida, Dolphins are our team, and this just happens out of nowhere. I remember I was working a shift, and I was like, wait, like, it's not April Fool's, Brian actually got fired from his job, and then this whole thing comes out, the first day of uh, Black History Month, definitely tactical and justify on the part of Brian Flores here. What were your thoughts on that situation? He, get, he gets, of course, hired, so now he's, you know, going to be a defensive coach with uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers, so he's got a position now in the NFL, which is good. But you got this NFL pending lawsuit inbound, and there's a lot of things to unpack from Brian Flores' firing. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, surprising. I didn't see this coming, but I did hear a lot of, like, he said, he said she said uh, during his tenure, like, a lot of the things that he brought up during the the lawsuit, the filing, uh, he did. There was mentions about it during the seasons. I mean, firing a head coach when he's above five hundred on your team that was also underperforming and didn't have any aspirations to win a Super Bowl from anybody. No one ever expected this team to do better than it did. I mean, if it weren't for Brian Flores, the Dolphins would have probably had the top three picks in the last three seasons, a hundred percent. But if it was for Brian Flores, he brought out the best in that team, bringing out Xavier Howard, uh, Mike Kosicki, getting Jalen Waddle to where he is now. I mean, making Emmanuel Ogba, Andrew, Andrew Van Ginkle, Jerome Baker, like all these players, Javon Holland even, all these players that you never heard of before becoming almost household names. 
mainly almost because of Brian Flores and the, the, the culture that he brought to Miami, now being fired because he won't do what the owner tells him to do, which is to tank, from what I understand. And the allegations, the racial allegations, a little cloudy. I don't know if that's true or not. Maybe it is. But what I do know for a fact is that tanking is a for real thing. I, I don't think anyone is naive enough to be like, oh, tanking. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a rumor. You know, like teams teams do their best during regular season. Have you seen the Giants? Just ask the Eagles. <laughs> Dude, the Giants did a quarterback sneak on a third and nine in their last football game. If that doesn't scream tanking to you, I don't know what does. It's stupid. The Miami Dolphins were for sure thinking of tanking the last three seasons, and guess what? They overperformed. They went ten and six last season, and they went nine and eight this season. They did amazing, and they fire the guy who did it. Like it makes no sense to me. And now they get a head coach, which I did extensive amount of research on. He's incredible. I think the Dolphins didn't have so much of a, a paradigm shift in head coach. I think more towards the offensive side of the football, so I guess we'll see more of Tua next year, which to be honest with you, if he doesn't put up 4,000 yards passing and 30 touchdowns, I don't see Tua staying on the Dolphins any longer under Mike McDaniel. But, you never know. I think Brian Flores in his new position, I think he has a great opportunity to flourish in the Steelers. And who knows, maybe when Mike Tomlin retires, he's the new head coach of the Steelers, and that's the new face of the Steelers franchise. Yeah, it definitely seems like he's going to be like an heir to like Mike Tomlin. That's definitely a good path. But I'm glad you brought up the phrase, doesn't make sense. Because it really doesn't make sense. And we we know what the allegations are. They've been very well detailed out there. They're on every notable website and article you can think of. In your eyes, because it's an investigation, we can't say for certain if it's true or if it's not. But how credible are these these claims that Brian Flores is making because he's a great guy, it seems like, culture-wise. He's the reason why this franchise football, in terms of football, has been able to be afloat. Because if you look at this team, you're like, how the hell are they 10-8? and eight? Like, or uh, pardon me, 10-6 and six and, you know, 9-8 and eight with these horrible teams and two is your QB and all this stuff. What's the credibility for these claims that he's making? Dude, he was with the Patriots. I mean, no, okay, given Antonio Brown and maybe Rob Gronkowski, uh, and, and Aaron Hernandez, which we will never talk about ever again in the history of football. <laughs> but outside of those, there's not a lot of drama surrounding the Patriots and their heir parents. I mean, Josh McDaniels had little to nothing. Bill Belichick has little to nothing. Uh, Matt Patricia had little to nothing. And now Brian Flores, all of a sudden, there's allegations surrounding him. So it's like, I don't see what he's saying to be false in the most part. I think... He may unravel, like, I may, I think he may have opened a Pandora's box in the sense that a lot of NFL coaches that got fired from teams, especially this year, like David Coley and also Hugh Jackson, who had only three wins as a head coach under Cleveland, he came out and said that I didn't get paid for tanking, but I was for sure told by the owners, hey, tank, like, we need it. Like, it's crazy to me how not a lot of coaches are coming out about that when it seemed like their jobs depended on it. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, the tanking point's really good because I feel like recently it's been up in discussion for the NFL. Like the NBA, this has been a problem for almost a decade ever since the process Sixers kind of came around. But for the NFL, it was never a problem. It's like, hey, if our team goes 
three and fourteen, it's just because we suck. But at least we we gave our damn. Like that's why I liked for this season the Texans because the Texans were a horrible team. The we'll get to the Sean Watson situation, or yeah, because that's just a, a Pandora's box right there. Speaking of that, but they still tried, and David Mills look good, and they have you know pieces in place. It, it's it seems very logical, at least from the tanking bit, and also of course there's the elephant in the room, which is the Rooney rule, this outdated rule that clearly the Giants and Broncos both took advantage of, which not only now hurts their credibility as franchises, but hurts Brian Flores as a person, given that it seems like they just wanted to have on their list of candidates to get assets and draft picks. I don't know what the hell they were thinking of, but that was that's 2007 logic for you. That's also a component in this as well. Yeah, I, I, what I understand for the Rooney rule is that if you are a minority in the NFL as a coach and you get hired in a high position, the team that had you in their system gets draft pick compensation. So Mike McDaniel getting hired by the Miami Dolphins, the San Francisco 49ers got, I think, two third-round compensatory picks for some reason. So I was like, okay, interesting. Um, yeah, very outdated rule, I'd have to say. They have to bring in a certain amount of um, minority coaches into their uh, like um, interviewing process. And basically, you know, they don't have to say, hey, you're the head coach. They just have to bring them in and be like, okay, we'll hear you. And, like, that's it. From what I understand, um, from all of the – like, if you look at all of the – the teams that got um, named by Brian Flores, they literally said the same copy and paste thing as Stephen Ross said. Oh, these allegations are so false and, um, you know, we're going to prove them wrong. And, like, they all said it in the same way, fixing a couple words. It's like if you were a student in college and you were copying your buddy's assignment and being like, all right, let me change a few words so that the professor doesn't know. It's like, dude, the professor freaking knows. Like, come on. Like, yeah. It's if it isn't obvious now, I think it'll be obvious in a, in a couple of months that these owners and these teams are rightfully tanking and rightfully taking advantage of a rule that they have to fulfill. All right, let's transition to some offseason stuff. There's a lot to unpack. I think the big narrative for this offseason is, of course, the QBs. It seems like there's three main pillars to talk about. There's Aaron Rodgers with the Packers. There's Russell Wilson with the Seahawks. And then, of course, the elephant in the room, Deshaun Watson with the Texans. Three unique situations. You have Russell Wilson, where it seems like the Seahawks team is trying to tend young or go younger and in a more youthful direction. This Packers situation, where it seems like it's kind of run its course, but we really don't know. And Rodgers is like, oh, I might retire, or I might go somewhere else, or I might go with the Packers. Who knows? And then Deshaun Watson, you have this situation where all these allegations come out against him, and then he is not he's still on the team he's under contract but he's not being traded because nobody wants him and he is just stuck with the franchise which of those three situations is kind of the most intriguing to watch out for so for the teams honestly um for Deshaun Watson it's kind of up in the air I really don't know if there's <laughs> okay from what I understand I saw a report and this was kind of shocking to me the only two teams now that he would want to go to is Tampa Bay and Minnesota, which to me as a Vikings fan shocked me. I was like, okay, he wants to come to Minnesota. Now, the allegations surrounding him also seem kind of credible, kind of not. 22 women have sued him or have pressed charges against him for taking advantage of them in the workplace and they're all in the same work style which it wouldn't 
it wouldn't alarm me if it was just 22 random women and it was like different workplaces. It's all masseuses. So it's like there's a clear coordination there that I'm like, maybe this is true. So I don't know if I want to touch that. Given Deshaun Watson's situation, I won't touch that. It's the Texans to deal with. If Minnesota really wants to go all in and be like, you know what, Kirk Cousins, you gave us our best. We're going to ship you off to Houston, and we're going to take Deshaun Watson, and we're going to take advantage of that now. I wouldn't mind it because, you know what, these players at the end of the day, they all have their issues. You know, with Henry Ruggs and Damon Arnett, those situations were, like, that lethal. So it's like, let's not let's not deal with that. <laughs> With Deshaun Watson's case, we've heard it time and time before with several other, like, top-name players, and it's like, you know, it's... I don't know what to say with that. But for the other two QBs, I already thought this situation out. In the perfect NFL, in my eyes, the way I see this going is the rumored locations of where they're going, they're going to go. So Russell Wilson to the Washington Commanders could very well happen, along with Aaron Rodgers going to the Denver Broncos. Now, the assets both teams have to give up, they have to keep in mind, these quarterbacks are like Matthew Stafford-type quarterbacks. They're here to win now, so we need to go all in. For the Washington Commanders, they have a way better situation with their defense and their offense. They have weapons on offense, and they have weapons on defense to help maintain a playoff team. Now, Russell Wilson is the type of player to elevate your team to a championship contender. This past season, he did have a rough NFL passing season. Pro Bowl worthy for some reason because, you know, given injuries or people who didn't want to play in the Pro Bowl, he got in. So whatever. But for the most part, the Washington Commanders, if they want to be like, okay, we can take a hit this year and we can take a hit next year for our draft picks, we'll trade both of those away to get Russell Wilson over here. And if we have to, we give up Deron Payne or Jonathan Allen, who was proved, both have proven to be really good defensive tackles for the team. They can go back, they can go to Seattle which Seattle's now focusing on building another um, uh, Legion of Boom over there. Well, now so, it's the Legion of Doom, so, you know. <laughs> now the Legion of Doom, yeah, for real. Um, but the assets that the Washington Commanders would be able to give up, uh, two uh, number 11 overall picks in the draft. So it's like, I think that's a good price that Seattle can take. That's pretty tempting to me. And their offense doesn't seem all too bad without Russell Wilson. You just need to find a good quarterback, and you're pretty much at the same, if not kind of worst level. For the Broncos, it's kind of like, okay, we don't have a lot of weapons on offense. Let's see what we can do in free agency. But if we can get Aaron Rodgers, that automatically elevates us to a playoff team. So giving up the ninth overall pick or eighth overall pick, no ninth overall pick of this year's draft. And then next year's draft to get Aaron Rodgers would be great for both teams. Because if you give the Packers a chance at Jordan Love and Matt LaFleur, Hey, you never know. They could be the same team that they are without Aaron Rodgers. You never know. Their team is still really good on defense, really good on offense. If they get the ninth overall pick in the draft along with that, they can get another really good player along with their other draft pick to help that team get back to the playoffs and possibly a Super Bowl without Aaron Rodgers. So it's like both teams can take a risky shot there. With the Washington Commanders, you never know. It's it's up in the air for that. So if I had to rank them, I'd say the Deshaun Watson thing's third because I think we just don't know what's going to happen there. I think the Wilson thing's honestly number one, and here's why. It's an interesting situation because on two fronts, you look at Russell Wilson, he's in his mid-30s, the QBs like him, which are the mobile fast guys that don't have the best strong arm, don't really age well in the NFL. 
And then my question is, and you bring up a good point, besides Washington, where's the market? Like, where's the market to get Wilson and a team's going to be like, we'll take on and do the Stafford role, but for you? Because I think Wilson, you can argue, is probably better than Stafford. There's, these are, they're always in the same tier, in the same ballpark. You get what I mean. I don't see a market where it's going to happen. And that's the problem with Seattle. Is I think they should move him, but I don't know who. Yeah, it's a rough situation, but I would rather give it to give him to a team that has a, like a top fifteen draft pick this year. So that way, you can at least take a little bit of a safety net and be like, okay, we can take a year to rebuild and take our you know number eleventh overall pick and number well, they don't even have a first pick this year or next year. So taking the Washington Commanders pick is a good gamble. While if you look at say in a very interesting situation. They trade him to Tampa Bay. It would be two twenty seventh overall picks. I think they take a better risk at going with the Commanders, getting another top twelve player in the draft, and being like, you know what, we took this player twelfth overall or eleventh overall, rather than waiting until the twenty seventh pick and getting whatever was available. You know, so I feel like trading to the Washington Commanders could have been could be the ideal situation for both sides. We haven't touched on this yet, but what are your thoughts on the Rodgers situation? Because there's a lot of smoke and not really a lot of substance here. I'm trying to figure out kind of what the direction is. And you could tell me anything I would believe you right now, but where do you think it's going to end up heading in these next couple weeks? I think, I think they're just blowing smoke, both sides. I think, in all honesty, the Packers were very ruptured last season, last offseason rather, because I know that there was a lot of headlines being like, oh, the the, the Packers organization is unhappy with Rodgers, and Rodgers is very unhappy with the organization. Why are they making these picks? Uh, Rodgers was fuming during the draft and everything like that. So it's like, um, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, the Rodgers situation, it's... It's interesting to me, to say the least, because I think, in all honesty, through during the cryptic tweets and all that, and the cryptic messages on Instagram, I think it's blowing smoke. But if it could go into a situation where they trade him, it would be to Denver. Because they have the Packers, if I'm not mistaken, their OC, their offensive coordinator, if I'm not mistaken. Nathaniel Hackett is a new head coach for the Denver Broncos, and he's made it very clear in press conferences that they are really going all in and trying to get Aaron Rodgers in Denver, which which pretty much make a seismic shift in both conferences that the, those teams are in. Well, you, you don't think Drew Locke's the answer in Denver? <laughs> Listen, man, Drew Locke, I think, you know, <laughs> he's a cool dude and everything, but, like, is he a good quarterback? I don't think he's proven that in the time that he's had as a starter. So it's like, really? Also, you got to admit, Teddy Bridgewater as well. He's a free agent, but I think he he's – Probably resigning. We'll see about that. One on this note for the offseason, because we'll do, of course, more in-depth stuff once the draft comes by in April and once we kind of get closer to free agency. But what's the big offseason narrative that's non-QB related that we haven't talked about yet that it could be a team that you're watching out for, a player that could go somewhere, anything along those lines that probably is going to be intriguing for this offseason? I'd say, oh, man, this is going to be interesting. I'd say a quiet team that will probably make the least amount of moves is the 49ers. I think once they move Jimmy Garoppolo, they're pretty much set. They don't have to make anything else. 
But the teams that I'm looking most forward to, and I, if, I, I can't believe I'm giving this team another shot, but I'm giving a, them another shot year three, the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> of, of course. <laughs> they have over, from what I understand, $60 million in cap room. They have decent enough draft capital. And you know what? They're sticking with Tua. They need another halfback. They need another halfback. They need another wide receiver. And they need a new offensive line. That's pretty much all they need. Their defense, if it can get back to their 10-6 form two years ago, they're definitely going to be a playoff contender. Championship contender, I wouldn't give them high hopes just yet. Because I thought of that, and I was like, you know what? I give them a shot this year, they went on Nate. I'm going to take it back. <laughs> so it all falls on Mike McDaniel and the development of Tua Tagovailoa, and also if they draft a running back this year, um, Brees Hall maybe. I don't know if he drops to the 20, 29th overall pick, if even. Um, if they look to like Leonard Fournette, who's available, James Conner, who's a really good uh, halfback to get, or, you know, they need to sign offensive linemen as well. I think Teron Armstead and Trent Brown could very well find a nice place in Miami. Um, if not, they're going to have to look towards the draft. And the Miami Dolphins in draft situations with offensive linemen has not looked pretty in the past few years. So I wouldn't give them high hopes just yet. But that's a team to look out for, along with the Cincinnati Bengals, who have a lot of offensive linemen issues to focus on, too. So those two, in my opinion, are going to be the two teams to look out for. Well, we'll have to be on the lookout as this offseason develops in the upcoming months. But for Nero, thank you for being on the pod. Glad to be here, bro.